Welcome to Spiritual Gold, the teaching ministry of Dr. Richard L. Strauss. I'm Dr. Mark Strauss, and these podcasts represent the faithful exposition of God's Word by my father through his 21-year ministry at Emmanuel Faith Community Church. Our prayer is that through these messages, you would be encouraged and equipped in your walk with the Lord. Some time ago, I was following in the newspaper the story of a man named Elmer Muckel. I don't know whether you ever remember Elmer or not, but he was an unemployed engineer. And he was getting very discouraged, fighting debt and bill collectors and watching his family suffer because he was not able to provide for them. And he got so despondent over the whole situation, he decided that he was just going to run away from it all. And so he left home and he got lost. As far as his family was concerned, he was lost. Elmer had been working on a number of inventions, and he had tried unsuccessfully to sell these inventions to interested parties. But after he left his family and somewhere got lost out there in the maze, one company, an electronics firm, took an interest in one of his inventions and offered him an enormous amount of money for the privilege of, of producing that particular invention. They looked high and low for him. They put ads in the newspaper. They ran his picture in the newspaper. It said, if anybody has seen this man, please let us know. The money was there. The riches were his. He was about to become a wealthy man. It was his for the taking. All his needs, his physical and financial needs would be met. His family would be once again provided for adequately. But they couldn't find him. They finally located him somewhere here in California in a hobo jungle, living a life of absolute destitution. Here he was, a wealthy man, potentially, but he didn't know it. He was not enjoying the riches which were his. When I read that story, something clicked in my mind because it has a strange parallel to the lives of many Christians today. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. God is a great giver. God is a great blesser. He knows exactly what we need. He knows everything that we need. And He has provided us with absolutely Every good gift. He has bestowed upon us absolutely everything we need to live the Christian life successfully, to enjoy Him, to find satisfaction in living, to experience an abundant life. We have everything, absolutely everything that we need. And yet there's so many Christians who know very little about the blessings that they possess in Jesus Christ. They don't know the purpose of His blessings. They don't know what blessings they really are entitled to. As a matter of fact, they don't even know in some cases that they're entitled to any blessings. And they're living uh, absolutely destitute, spiritually speaking. They are poverty-stricken spiritually when God has made available to them all spiritual blessings. Now we learn a little bit about these spiritual blessings in Ephesians chapter 1. If we were to put a title on verses 3 to 14, we would call it Our Blessings in Christ because a number of them are mentioned here. The first two verses of the book 
are just a salutation. We've discussed them in our opening message on Ephesians. But now we want to talk about our blessings in Christ. And the first blessing is the one described in verses 3 to 6. It is the blessing of being chosen in Him. But before we talk about that, let's just talk about blessings in general as they're described to us right here in verse 3 as an introduction to our blessings in Christ. Maybe it would be good to talk about the word blessing before we go any further. Interestingly enough, in the last two weeks, I've had two different people come to me on different occasions and say, we talk so much in Christian circles about blessing. What does it mean to be blessed? As a matter of fact, sometimes I've gone out of church and I've said to you, that message was a blessing to me. And after I've said it, I've said to myself, what did that mean? What did I mean when I said that was a blessing? I think we're all guilty of that in Christian circles. We talk about things and we're not even sure sometimes what we're saying. We use words and we use them in, in, a, in a cliche manner and we're really not sure what we mean by the very words we're using. What does it mean to bless or to be blessed? Well, the word bless, the verb to bless is the Greek word elogeo, which from which we get our English word eulogize. And it means literally to speak well. Lego means to say. And the first part of the, of the verb means good or well. It's to speak well of. So to bless God is to speak well of God. And we bless Him when we sing His praises and give honor to Him. When we acknowledge His goodness and give thanks to Him. We are blessing the Lord. We're speaking well of Him. For God to bless us is to bestow good things on us, to bestow benefits on us, things that are to our profit, that will increase our joy and our satisfaction and our effectiveness as Christians, things that are well spoken of, things that we speak well of, things that God speaks well of. To be blessed is to be well spoken of or to speak well of. So blessings are Beneficial things that God bestows for our joy and encouragement and effectiveness and satisfaction. Good things of which we speak well. Now look at verse 3 again in the light of the understanding of that word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. We speak well of God who has blessed us, who has bestowed some good things on us that we are thankful for and we speak well of, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. The word is used three times in different ways in that verse. So we better understand what it means. God has given to us good things that we can rejoice in and speak well of and thank Him for. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, in Christ. Now let's look at the characteristics of these blessings. First of all, they're spiritual blessings. He's bestowed on us all spiritual blessings. Christians are people who in their position in Christ have left the natural realm and entered the spiritual realm. They have been bestowed, or it has been bestowed upon them, a heaven-born nature. They are citizens of heaven. They don't belong to this earth. They're strangers and pilgrims, Peter says. They're citizens of heaven. So they live in a non-spiritual world and yet 
They are people who belong to a spiritual realm. And that causes some problems. How can we live out of our water, out of our atmosphere, out of our element? We are spiritual creatures born from above with a, with a divine nature. And yet we live in a mundane, carnal world where anything but spiritual things are spoken highly of. We need some help. And that's what God has given to us. He has given us spiritual benefits to help us live in a non-spiritual world. We need a spiritual atmosphere to breathe. We need spiritual food to eat. We need spiritual garments to wear. We need spiritual companions to associate with and to encourage us. We need spiritual exercise to keep us strong and spiritually healthy. We need spiritual strength to live this life in this carnal world. We need spiritual weapons to fight a spiritual warfare. We need spiritual things in order to exist in a non-spiritual world. God has given to us all spiritual blessings. In years, recent years, our government has been involved in a space program. And they send men whose bodies are adapted to this atmosphere into a hostile environment where they cannot exist on their own. And the only way they can exist in that hostile environment is to create and send with them their own environment, their own atmosphere that is suited to their needs. They send with them the air to breathe and the food to uh, eat and the clothing to wear that helps them exist in a hostile environment. And that's exactly what God does for us. Here we are, spiritual creatures born from above with God's nature living in a carnal world. The only way we can exist in this world is for God to provide for us a spiritual atmosphere. And that's what he does. That's what's involved in these spiritual blessings. Now notice where they're found. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, in Christ, in the heavenlies. That's the sphere where the believer lives. The sphere of being united with Jesus Christ, identified with him. The sphere of the Christian's spiritual experience. We live in the heavenlies. That's our environment. NASA didn't create it. God created it. It's the environment in which we as believers live and the environment God carries right along with us right here in this non-spiritual world in which we live. That term, the heavenlies, is used a number of times in Ephesians. It might be helpful to leaf through the book and see them. You see in verse 20, it's talking about the power wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies. The word places is not there in the original. In the heavenlies. That's where Christ is seated. Turn over to chapter 2 and verse 6. Where we have been raised up together with Christ and made to sit together with Him in the heavenlies. Not only is Christ seated in the heavenlies, we are identified with Him in His position in the heavenlies. Over in chapter 3 and verse 10. We read, To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in the heavenlies might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Principalities and powers inhabit the heavenlies and they are seeing the wisdom of God revealed in the church of Jesus Christ. Turn over to chapter 6 and verse 12. The same terminology appears again where we read, 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. Satan has access to the heavenlies. He's there to oppose us. We live in that realm, but he's invaded that realm. He wasn't made for that realm, but yet he has access to it and opposes us and battles us. So we have all these things we need, spiritual blessings, and they're found in the heavenlies. That is our heavenly, our spiritual atmosphere that goes along with us. The blessings are those things in that atmosphere. That's the, ox the spiritual oxygen we need and the spiritual space suit we wear and so on. And it's found in our space capsule. That's the heavenlies. But that's not all. In Ephesians 1.3 it says, We have all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. There's another sphere that we find these blessings. And it is our relationship with Jesus Christ. We know what that phrase means. In Romans 6.3, it says we've been baptized into Christ. The same thing is repeated in Galatians 3.27. We have been baptized into Christ, not by water, but by the ministry of the Spirit of God. We've been placed in eternal, unbreakable union with Jesus Christ. And that phrase in Christ has to do with our union with Him and our communion with Him. And we have been placed in, in union with Jesus Christ and in that sphere because we belong to Him and been, have been associated with Him and identified with Him. We have every blessing we need in our sphere of living, our sphere of activity, the heavenlies. Now to carry through the illustration, I guess we have to find a human parallel to that. The astronaut has all the benefits he needs to exist in that space capsule and that space capsule is provided for him because of his association with the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. He is a member of NASA. He is in NASA and therefore he has that atmosphere which includes all the benefits he needs. Now there we are. Only it's provided for us in a spiritual realm. We have all spiritual benefits in the heavenlies by virtue of our identification with Jesus Christ. It's all ours. Everything we need. Now let's look at these benefits that we're going to study in the next few weeks. Not next Sunday night, but the week after. In verse 4, it says, According as He hath chosen us in Him. Chosen in Him. That's the first benefit we have. We've been chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. The key phrase is in Him. Our blessings in Christ. Number one, our choice, our election. Secondly, in verse 7, in whom, that's the key phrase, in whom, that's in Christ, by virtue of our identification with Him, we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Our redemption is the second blessing Paul talks about that we have in Christ. Skip down to verse 11 and you'll see the third one. We have a divine outline in Ephesians 1. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. We are heirs in Him. Verse 11. Skip down to verse 13. In whom also, after we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, in whom also after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The fourth blessing in Ephesians 1 is the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's all ours because we are in Him. Now let's begin. That was a long introduction, wasn't it? We're going to talk about our blessings in Christ. And the first one is our choice. If you're outlining the book, 
Our blessings in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. A. Our choice in Him. Let's look at that choice tonight. We see four things about it in verses 4, 5, and 6. First of all, the period of our choice before the foundation of the earth. Secondly, the purpose of our choice, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Thirdly, the position of our choice, having predestinated us unto the adoption of sons. And finally, the principle of our choice. It was according to the good pleasure of His will and to the praise of the glory of His grace. Now let's go through these. We're not going to say a great deal about them. But let's see if we can understand our choice in Him. First of all, the period of our choice. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. The word chosen is the word ek lego. It means to speak out, literally. Or to pick out, or to choose out, therefore. To choose out of. This coming November, we're going to have a choice. We're going to choose out of three candidates, I guess, this year, rather than two. The one to be our president for the next four years. We're going to choose out of. That is exactly the meaning of this word. And since the word, the Greek word is eklego, we get our English word elect or election from it. We're going to have an election. Well, God says we have been elected. The election has already taken place. Wasn't a capricious choice that God made, choosing some to eternal life and damning others to eternal condemnation. But yet it was a sovereign choice. God made it. He did it. We didn't choose ourselves. As a matter of fact, back in John chapter 15 and verse 16, Jesus said very plainly, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And we often get that a little fouled up in our minds. God did the choosing. We didn't do it. He did. We are chosen in Him. In Christ. Jesus is God's elect one. In fact, the prophet Isaiah even used that very terminology of the Lord Jesus. He said, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. That's Isaiah 42.1. Jesus is God's elect one. And because we are in Him, we too are God's chosen ones. We have been elected by God. And that's a very encouraging thing. Before the worlds were even made. Before the foundation of the earth. God looked down through eternity and into the corridors of time and said, I am going to choose you in my son. And he chose us in him. What an encouraging thing to know. That you and I were part of God's planned, perfect program in eternity past. Before we ever saw the light of day, before there ever was a light of day or a darkness of night, God chose us in His Son. You and I were important enough to God that before the worlds came into being, He of His own will elected us, chose us. Now if He did that, if, if we were important enough to Him, 
to make a part of his eternal perfect plan in eternity past, if we were that important to God that he saw us and chose us in eternity past, certainly he cares about us right now. Certainly he has his hand upon us right now. Certainly he's going to keep us secure in him right now. If he chose me in eternity past, he can certainly keep me in, in time and for eternity future. And the doctrine of election and the doctrine of eternal security go hand in hand. In several weeks I want to talk about the doctrine of eternal security. It's such a misunderstood doctrine in our day. I take a Sunday morning service and devote the whole message the biblical teaching on eternal security, and even then we won't even scratch the surface. The Bible is so filled with information on this. But it goes together. Because He chose us, He certainly cares for us, and He will certainly keep us. But whenever I talk about the doctrine of election and the doctrine of eternal security, I certainly have to qualify what I'm saying. Because it's so easy to see this doctrine, which is clearly here and no one can deny it, and lay such emphasis on it, we begin to tilt the scale so far that we lose sight of another biblical doctrine that I'm convinced is just as much in the Scripture as the doctrine of election. And that is the doctrine of volition. God created angels and men with wills. Volition. The privilege of choosing. And God says very clearly, Whosoever believeth in his Son will not perish, but have everlasting life. God says very clearly, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God says very clearly, Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. There is a whosoever in the message of salvation. God holds that message of salvation out to a world lost and dying without Christ. And says, I sent my son to die in your place. And if you will but sense your need and acknowledge your sin and trust my son, you will be eternally saved. And he holds that offer out to a world, the whole world, and says, whoever will may come. Now, I don't understand that, folks. I have to admit to you that I cannot stand before you tonight and explain how God in eternity past could choose and elect believers in His Son, and yet at the same time offer salvation to a whole world and say, whosoever will, let him come. And hold every human being accountable for what he does with Jesus Christ, whether he trusts Him or whether he rejects Him. I can't explain to you how both those truths can be, be true at the same time, but they are found in the Word of God. They are both taught in the Scriptures. You say, well, I'm not sure I can believe in Jesus Christ. How do I know I'm one of God's elect? All you need to do tonight is to admit your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you can leave this place tonight absolutely certain, absolutely assured that you are one of God's elect ones. It's that simple as it's revealed in God's Word. But once you've become one of God's children by faith in His Son, and you have the assurance that you are God's elect. And the assurance that God's hand will be upon you. Then God's going to uh, look for some changes in your life as evidence of that new birth. Because if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And when the newness is not evident, 
there may be serious questions about some, whether someone has really trusted Christ as Savior, sensing his desperate need of God's salvation, or whether he hasn't just gone through forms and is, as Cain, in our study this morning, a religious person, but unregenerate. But if you've trusted Christ and you're God's child, you were chosen in him before the foundation of the earth. Look at the purpose of our choice. That we should be, that is a word of purpose. It tells us the aim in view. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Maybe we ought to hold the words in love because many Bible scholars really believe that goes with the next phrase in verse 5. In love, having predestinated us under the adoption of sons. But the purpose for our choice was that we should be holy and without blame before him. You know, you can argue the doctrine of election and lots of people like to do that. If you ever spend any time on a Christian college or seminary campus, you know that this is one of the favorite items to debate and to argue. Uh, I just came from a seminary campus where I attended my son's graduation. And I heard some debate on the doctrine of election just the few days I was there. You just can't escape it. Theologians love to debate the doctrine of election. Dear friend, you can debate the doctrine of election from now until Jesus comes or you pass on into eternity in some other way. You probably won't solve it, number one. And you will have totally missed the point unless you see the purpose for it all. There is an aim in view. There's a reason God chose us in his son. It is so that we might be before him holy and blameless. And I have a suspicion that some of the theologians that, that are debating the doctrine tonight have lost sight of the purpose of it all. God wants us to be holy and blameless. And that's why he chose us. Now, in the context, I fully believe that when it says before him, it's talking about when we stand before him in eternity. That's the way that phrase is used. It occurs over in Ephesians 5.27, that he might present us to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. There's the same words, holy and without blemish, and it refers to our presentation to Christ in eternity. Before him, presented to himself. Same words as before him. You see it again over in Philippians chapter 2. If you'll turn over there. Same words. Philippians 2. Excuse me, I want Colossians. I'll turn you to Philippians in a moment. Colossians 1.22. We were reconciled in the body of his flesh through death in order that we might pre present it holy and unblameable and unreprovable, unreprovable in his sight. There's that presentation again, you see, which seems to refer to that day we enter Christ's presence and are presented to him as his spotless bride. That's the end in view. That's the ultimate goal. But there's something very interesting. These same words, or at least these same roots, are used about our daily lives as well as our eternal presentation to Christ. And that's the important thing. 
right now at any rate. Over in Philippians now, chapter 2 and verse 15. It says that we may be blameless and harmless. There's that word blameless. Children of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. There it's talking about our life in the world. And we are to be blameless. Without blemish. Without spot. Without all those little dirty things that mess up our lives and ruin our testimony and bring reproach on the name of Jesus Christ. Little things like the language we use. Or the motives of our lives. Or the things we say. Or the honesty or dishonesty that characterizes our daily little things that bring reproach on the name of the Lord. We're to be without them, without blame, without blemish. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 and the other word is used of us in this life. 1 Peter 1, 15. But as he who hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of life. That's not talking about our presentation to Christ as his bride. That's talking about our lives right here and now. We are to be holy. So God has called us to present us perfect in his presence, but he wants us to live that way right now. He wants our daily practice to match our eternal position. He wants us to be blameless without those blemishes that ruin our testimony. And he wants us to be holy. That word means set apart unto him. He saved us to use us for himself. He sent his spirit to indwell our lives to draw us to Himself and set us apart for His use and empower us to live for His glory and His praise. Not to live for ourselves, for our pleasures, and the gratification of our lustful desires and our praise and our comfort. No, no. He saved us for Himself to be set apart unto Him. That's the purpose in view. How are we measuring up? Yes, we've been chosen. Praise God. Chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. We can enjoy that encouragement that comes from being God's chosen ones. Whom He'll never let go of. But don't forget the purpose. It is that we might be blameless and holy. Let's look at the position of our choice. Having predestinated us, verse 5, unto the adoption of sons... By Jesus Christ to himself. In love having predestinated us. Now predestination is a different doctrine from election. I think many people confuse those two doctrines. They oftentimes feel that they're one and the same, but they aren't. The word predestined means to mark out beforehand. To determine beforehand. To ordain beforehand. And it has not to do with people but with purposes and circumstances. With ends in view, in other words. Whenever you read of the doctrine of predestination in Scripture, it is to a particular thing. It isn't just the choice of people. It is the choice of people for a purpose. Now, we already saw that God's choice even had a purpose, but now predestination comes into view, which in itself has a purpose. And we are predestined unto... The adoption of sons by Jesus Christ. Because God loved us in eternity past. And because God chose us in eternity past. He decided. He determined beforehand. 
that every one of those he chose would be placed in his family as a mature adult son. That's what adoption is. You remember the doctrine of adoption, don't you? We studied it in some detail when we were back in, in Galatians some months ago because Galatians chapter 4 verses 1 to 7 is really the central passage in the whole Bible on the doctrine of adoption. And the concept comes from the customs of the Roman world where a child was born into a family but he was under governors and tutors. He was, he was cared for day and night. He lived by rules and regulations. He was an heir to the estate but he had no rights and privileges. As an heir, you don't give a baby the right to spend his inheritance. He had no rights. He was under rules and regulations and tutors and governors. Until the time came when his father recognized that he could be placed as a son. And that's what the word adoption means. The Greek word literally means son placing. There is no intermediate period in the family of God where we're born into the family that's the doctrine of regeneration no waiting period between our birth and our son placing it all happens at one and the same time contrary to the customs in the Roman world the moment we're born into God's family God places us as his son and he determined to do that from eternity past he decided when he chose us he determined beforehand, he ordained beforehand that every person he chose would be placed in his family as a son with all the rights and privileges of sonship, with a full enjoyment of his inheritance and the privilege of using that inheritance to the glory of God and to his own benefit and blessing. That's what it means to be a son. So we're not under rules and regulations. We're not under the law. We have the privilege of entering into our Father's presence anytime, confidently, and entering into communion with Him as, a, as an adult son, just coming right into His presence and talking to Him. We don't have to go through the tutors and the governors and, and other people who are placed in charge of us. No, we have access into the presence of God. And now God wants us to act like adult sons. He doesn't want us to act like spiritual babies anymore. He doesn't want us to be characterized by all the selfishness and ill feelings and ill will and, and lack of cooperation and demanding our own way like spiritual babies. He wants us to act like adult sons. That's what we are. He's placed us in his family as heirs who have the privilege of enjoying their inheritance and enjoying their father. He has determined beforehand that we should be his sons. That's the position of our choice. Will you look finally tonight at the principle of our choice? It is according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, through which He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. It is according to the good pleasure of His will. According to the good pleasure of His will. God chose us in eternity past. Not because of anything worthwhile He saw in us, not because of anything meritorious he knew we would do, but simply because it suited the good pleasure of his will. That's the doctrine of election. And it is to be to the praise of the glory of his grace. You see, if there was something worthwhile he saw in us, then it would be to the praise of our glory. 
the glory of our goodness and our worthwhileness and our meritorious deeds. But it isn't going to be that. It isn't that. It is going to be and is and will always be to the praise of the glory of His grace. You know, I think sometimes we have the feeling that our salvation is totally for our good and our glory. So much of modern uh, gospel songs have to do with all the all the experience we can enjoy as believers. And that, you know, it's all for our good. It seems as though in, in some cases we're getting away from magnifying the Lord and magnifying our own experience. But God saved us in order that we might be trophies of His grace. That throughout the ages to come, we may be to the praise of the glory of His grace. And when God takes worthless, hell-bound, vile sinners like you and me and redeems them by His grace and brings them into His family and gives them the full privileges of His heirs, that friend magnifies God's grace. And that's what it will do throughout the ages of eternity. This is God's doing. He saved us for Himself. And our lives are to be lived for His glory. We were chosen in Him that we should be without blame before Him. Predestinated to the adoption of sons according to the good pleasure of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace through which He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The Beloved is Christ. God said on two occasions at His baptism and at His transfiguration, This is my Beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And God accepts us. He freely bestows these things upon us. Is really what the word means. He begraces us in His Son. Because we're identified with Him, then we have these beautiful blessings, including acceptance by an eternal, infinitely holy God. Acceptance is a very important thing to us today. Psychologists are laboring to try to help people feel accepted and encouraging others to accept people rather than turn our backs on them for some reason or other. And we need to do that. But we're already accepted in Christ by the Father. We belong to Him because we're in Christ. He has accepted us. We can enjoy that blessing. Acceptance. It's a beautiful word. Acceptance. Acceptance. We've been accepted, not because we deserve to be, but because we've been chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. And we can enjoy our acceptance. Chosen, predestinated. In order that we might live holy lives to the praise of the glory of His grace. That's the message of Ephesians 1, 4-6. Our blessings in Christ. We begin to see the importance of our choice and the reason for it and to begin to fulfill God's purpose for saving us. We're going to be living much like John the Baptist lived whom we studied a few weeks ago. As he viewed himself in relationship to the Lord Jesus and said, He must increase and I must decrease. My life needs to be lived more and more for His glory because that's why He chose me and less and less for myself. Is that the way we view life? That's the way we'll view it when we begin to enjoy our blessings in Christ. 
Let's pray. Father, we, help, we pray that you'll help us grasp these truths tonight and not only lay hold of them mentally, but translate them into daily life, into holiness, into a blameless testimony before a lost world that so desperately needs to see a visible manifestation of our holy Christ. Oh, God, help us to be those kinds of people. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message by Dr. Richard L. Strauss. Copyright 2020 Spiritual Gold, Inc. All rights reserved. For more on this ministry and for additional resources, be sure to visit spiritualgold.org.